0: Uh, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you Samson Latcheson. Uh, Samson was born in St. Louis. He is the youngest of seven. He attended Southwest Bible uh, Baptist University, majoring in psychology and religious studies. Uh, most of his post-collegiate years have been spent in youth ministry and in youth facilities. Uh, he is now the manager and barista at the Potter's House in Springfield, Missouri. Potter's House is a coffee house, campus ministry, with the goal of providing a home away from home for students of Missouri State University, Drury University, Evangel University, and Ozark Technical Community College, all in Springfield. Potter's House is where Samson and Doug Johnston and later his wife, Kelly, have several year, uh, met several years ago. Uh, also Matt Turnbow, also the Cochran's. He didn't know some of you had wound up here. He was so excited to hear that. He is also chaplain at Lakeland Imagine that. The other Lakeland Behavioral Health Center. So we're kind of like a behavioral health center here. <laughs> it's a level four youth facility in Springfield. I don't know what level you'd rate us at, but that's where you come from. So let's welcome Samson.
1: Uh, first of all, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. If I would known there would be this many people with a heart of concern for this issue, when I was a little boy, it would have changed things remarkably. Um, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I've never heard such a comprehensive word on homosexuality as I I just heard your pastor give. I've never known anybody to care that much about the subject Uh, and so, I just want to begin tonight by saying I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here tonight. Um, This is something the world needs to see, you know. On a Thursday night, you're here. You could be anywhere, and you're here to discuss this issue, so I want to thank you for that. Um, I want to start at the beginning. Um, My first memory is being caught in a real inappropriate sexual situation, which I cannot articulate here. But that was my first memory as a child. I've been same-sex attracted or gay as long as I could remember. My second memory was at five years old, standing up in the pew of a church asking Jesus to save me. Now, I need to lay this out for you. It was a black church. So there was nothing to be noticed about a five-year-old standing up and screaming, Jesus, save me, because everybody else was screaming as well. And so this was during the Jesus movement, and people were going forward, and the pastor just preached a sermon on Jesus dying on the cross that was so real. It was as if, to me, I could hear Jesus' blood dropping to the ground. And so I asked Jesus to save me, and tears began to course down my face. And I felt something deep inside me happen that night. I was baptized probably about two weeks later, and in the basement of the church where I was baptized, the deacon that should have been dressing me for baptism sexually molested me. It was at that time in my life when I began to think, God, you really hate me, don't you? Because I began to think in my own mind, it's your house, and you didn't protect me. Well, I still had a very strong desire to know this Jesus, to know this God that I'd heard about when I was such a little boy. And my mom began to notice a feminine behavior in me at a very young age. And she immediately stated to me, Homosexuality is the unforgivable sin. For that, you will bust hell wide open. And that thought stayed in my head for many, 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 many years as you will hear this story uh, go on. I would pray at 3, 7, and 12 every day because, in a child's mind, I, I figured out that those were holy numbers. And I would pray 3 and 7 and at 12 every day. And my number one prayer request would be that God would save me from being a fag. And those desires never, ever went away. I had a love-hate relationship with God. I knew there was a God. I truly, truly believed in God. During the same time of my life, my father lost his job. He worked at a lead factory, and he became lead poisoned. My mom began to become more and more physically abusive with us. At the same time, I'm going to stand here and tell you, there was time after time when I watched this abusive woman pray, and I would watch God answer her prayers in incredible, miraculous ways. I will never forget the day I was sitting at the table coloring in my coloring book, and my mom had two eggs. That was all she had to feed, all seven of us, herself and my father. And my mom was cracking those two eggs in the skillet, and she said, Jesus, I don't have 5,000. I read where you fed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves. I just got nine. I need you to feed nine people with these two eggs, Jesus. And you guys, I just continued coloring In my coloring book, and a few minutes later, my mom, who was not usually the most tender person, she said, baby, I want you to come here. I want you to see this. And you guys, there were eggs pouring out of that skillet, and two eggs fed nine people twice. There was a Christmas when there was a half a package of spaghetti, and my mom put water in the bottom of a ketchup bottle, shook it up, and made tomato sauce. Put it in a pot, and she said, Jesus, I need you to feed nine people. We ate three times out of that pot that day. There was a day when there was no food in the house, absolutely no food. Uh, civil rights had, hadn't been in effect very long. You couldn't get welfare and Social Security just like that back then. You just couldn't. Nobody could. And my mom was a proud woman, and she wasn't going to ask for help from anybody. She would just always say, we're going to trust God. And I remember going to my mom two or three times that day saying, Mom, when are we going to eat? And she kept saying, honey, the Lord will provide. And I'm looking around for him. I'm like, well, where is he at? (laughs) And I don't know why, but when you're hungry, you just develop an acute appetite for something special. I wanted Captain Crunch that day. We never got Captain Crunch. We always got cornflakes and Cheerios. That was all we could afford, you know. But I wanted Captain Crunch. And at 5 o'clock, my mom started setting the table. My mom was a Pentecostal woman. And so she said a few things that weren't in English, along with the hallelujahs and thank you, Jesus. And she was setting the table at 5 o'clock. We thought she'd lost her mind. At 5.30, there was a knock at the door, and a woman by the name of Mrs. Spigner, High piercing voice. I, I, I think she would make dogs howl. But, but we didn't care about her piercing voice because the porch was filled with groceries. And my mom called me over to her and she said, Sammy, look at the top of that bag. Top of one of those bags was a box of, you know, yeah. Cap'n Crunch.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you guys, I can't tell you the number of times, even during that time, of when I thought God hated me. I'll never forget there was a Fred Atkins that approached me not long after I'd been sexually abused at that church with a Bible. He said, Samson, God's going to do something wonderful with your life one of these days. Round 10, 10 to 12 actually, I, I was bullied a lot in school because the kids noticed my feminine behavior. Call the fag beaten up and threatened almost on a daily basis not able to tell anyone and then I stopped bathing because I thought at least if I stink people will stay away from me well at 10 my dad began to bathe me and my dad also began to molest me and he molested me from 10 until I was 12. My dad was also a minister and every Saturday after he would molest me I would look out of the window And I can't repeat what I would say to God. But my prayers were laden with the F bomb. Didn't use the F word. I didn't cuss as a kid, except when I talked to God. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm convinced God heard those prayers too. It's like I've said before Psalms 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalms 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus, by the way, repeated Psalms 22 on the cross. But I kept talking to God. And after I'd get through talking to God, there was a hymn book always in the bathroom. And you know, bathrooms have amazing acoustics (laughs) just amazing. And I'd pick up that hymn book and I would sing to God. I would sing to God. I thank God for Billy Graham. Thank God for Billy Graham. He's deceased and some of you might not have known what a preacher he was. He was somebody we always listened to when he had crusades. And and I began to listen to what he said about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I didn't know how that could happen for somebody like me because in my mind I thought I was going to go to hell anyway. But because he kept talking about believing in Jesus, dying for you. And out of that having a relationship, I begin to believe in God. By the way, during the same years my dad was molesting me, my principal from 6th to 8th grade, Mr. Laddie, who, by the way, was probably not a believer, every day he would meet me at the gate to my school. He would walk me to class, and he would whisper in my ear, God's going to do something with your life someday. You guys, I didn't know what, I didn't know how. But at 14, I began just a process of trying to walk with God. Same-sex attraction never went, went away. It never did. And so I thought in the back of my mind I could bribe God by just being the best little Christian I could be. And so during high school, I did all that I could to do that. By my 18th year, I made the decision to move out of St. Louis because I knew my mom was becoming more and more aware of my same-sex attraction. And it was unbelievable because I looked at a wall in my guidance counselor's office at Southwest High School in St. Louis, Missouri, and there was an inquiry card for Southwest Baptist College in Bolivar, Missouri, I did not know where the freak that was. (laughs) But I cannot tell you how strong of an impression I had to sign that card and mail it in. And I'm convinced enough to tell you I wouldn't be standing here had I not signed that card. I wouldn't be here because I don't think I'd be alive. I went to Southwest Baptist University and... For the first time in my life, I found acceptance. I found there were other weird, awkward Christian kids, just like <laughs> myself, you know, who were really trying to figure things out. I found professors that were men of integrity. And you guys, in that environment, I begin to thrive, and I begin to sing. I mean, it was something that I began to do in many, many churches all over the place. In my mind, I was still thinking, I hope. This is enough to make him like me so that he can let me in one of these days. And you guys, by the time I finished at SBU, I had a professor who taught deistic evolution. He believed that the seven days were not literal seven days of God creating the world. In the back of my mind, an argument started. If that's not literal, what else isn't literal? Well, let's check out Leviticus 18, Romans 1, 1 Timothy 1, Jude 7, 1 Corinthians 6. All the passages that your pastor just spoke to you about, I studied them all at length. and I found the same thing he did. But I was not about to lose that argument. So about my senior year of college, I made the decision. If he made me this way, then he can just deal with it. After I graduated from SBU, I plunged into the the gay lifestyle. Back in the 80s, there were were five gay bars in Springfield, Missouri. I frequented them all on a regular basis. During that time of doing just what I wanted, I was the most miserable I've ever been in my entire life to the point where I became suicidal and I began having sex with people that were HIV positive or that had full-blown AIDS. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have never been HIV positive. I can't tell you the number of times I've been tested. I've never been HIV positive. During that time, I was working at Lakeland Behavioral Health Hospital. And one night, I was dealing with a young man by the name of Jason. He was 12 years old and profoundly challenged. I had changed his diaper three times that day. And I hadn't gone to church that Sunday. I was teaching Sunday school, by the way, uh, for third graders, and I was singing all over Springfield, Missouri in churches. But this night, I, I, I told God, I'm so done with you. I'm so done with you. You make me this way, and now you tell me I can't be this way. And I was tying Jason's gown, arguing with God in my mind, by the way, Jason could not speak in full senses. He could not articulate more than two to three words. As I was tying his gown, he said, Bamson? And I said, Jason, what do you want? He said, Bamson, there's something important about you. Ladies and gentlemen, I knew that that was not Jason. It was God talking to me. At that time, I was in a relationship, a loving relationship with a guy named Brad. And I began to, again, rehearse all those verses. Jude 7, 1 Timothy 1, 1 Corinthians 6, Leviticus 18, Romans 1. And I began to feel in my heart that I could no longer continue to live this life. Brad came to me and he said, you've got to decide what man you're going to love, Jesus or me. At that point, I told him, Jesus. You guys did the same-sex attraction stop? No, they didn't. I was in, in struggle many, many times with behavior that was appropriate, And at the same time, I was doing everything I could to barter with God To get as many people out of hell as possible through ministry, landed me basically in a psychiatric hospital with the diagnosis of bipolar two with psychotic features. I had basically had a, a fall with another man in a park while I was youth minister and worship minister at a church. I confessed that to my church. At that time, they put me in accountability. That accountability led me to a Christian psychiatrist who in turn prescribed me seven to nine psychotropic and antidepressant drugs. I began to hallucinate, and I landed in Cox North Psychiatric Facility in Springfield, Missouri. It was a Sunday morning, and one of the gentlemen jumped up from the breakfast table. We were all dressed in our gowns and our footies, all of us under suicide watch. And he jumped up from the table and he says, "There's no F in God. There's no F in God. Where, where's your F and pastor? Where's your F and pastor?" And sure enough, none of our pastors had come to see us. I'd call friends that I knew and, and they didn't respond to my call. And there was a lady sitting right next to me, and and she said, Sir, I want to believe in flannel board Jesus. You're like, what are you talking about? She said the flannel board picture that the Sunday school teacher would put on the board of Jesus holding the little kids in his lap. She said, I want to be one of those kids. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if it's the how doll or what, but in that moment, There was a presence that came in, you know, and I always wanted to feel God. I mean, I grew up around people that always said they felt God, but I never felt God. But on a unit in a psychiatric hospital, Jesus showed up. And there was warmth, and there was just a presence that was so strong around that table, the only song that we all knew and I don't know who started it was "Jesus loves me." And we begin to sing it. We must have looked like quite the group there in our gowns and footies, <laughs> singing, "Yes, Jesus loves me," around that breakfast table. Ladies and gentlemen, I got out from that breakfast table. And a few days later, I was discharged. At that time, I'd gone up to 270 pounds. I lost 100 pounds within that year. But a couple weeks after being in that hospital, a couple, Stephen Burner Prophet, found me and told me they were starting a coffee house ministry that was going to be a campus ministry to Missouri State University. It was going to be called the Potter's House. I had met them 12 years prior singing at their church, and, and they said, the Lord told them to get in touch with me. And so I joined them at 724 South National at that coffee house. And by the way, that's one of the places that I met so many of the people that attend this church. And I remember a night uh, when I was still on medication, (laughs) (laughs) Doug brought Kelly by to meet me. And uh, yes, Seroquel can do some fun things to you. (laughs) So after I wiped the drool, I I was able to be introduced to her. But but within a few weeks of that, you guys, I was able to stop taking all those antipsychotics and antidepressants cold turkey. I wouldn't suggest that for anybody, but God told me that, and I had no side effects. A little bit after that, a pastor came by Potter's house named Jordan Hanson, and he said... I want to know your story. And you guys, I vomited my, my whole story on him as quick as possible because I wanted to run him away. He looked at me and he said, that's an amazing story. Can I start picking you up every day for the gym? We happened to go to the same gym, and I thought, you've got to be missing something here. And ladies and gentlemen, he would pick me up and, and take me to the gym Every day, and every day he would ask me more and more stories about my life. Tears running down his face as I would tell him some of the things I just told you. And you guys, after thinking about years of all the people God brought in my life, after thinking about Stephen Burner Prophet, the principal I had from 6th to 8th grade, people like Matt and, and Doug, a God brought into my life over the years. This pastor, Jordan Hansen, I was riding my bicycle home. By the way, I'm, I'm also narcoleptic. I'm not going to go there. But anyway, so I ride a bike. I can't drive a car. And so I'm riding a bike down a street called Fremont. And again, by the way, you guys, it's funny. I was molested in a church basement. Everywhere Jesus has met me has been outside of a church. But you guys, I was riding down Fremont on my bike in Springfield, Missouri, thinking about these people, and I yelled at God and I said, What do you say about me? Because in the back of my mind, all these years, I've still been trying to drag people out of hell so I wouldn't go. What do you say about me? And you guys, I begin to think of 1 John 1.9. You confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you. Not John 3.16, not just John 3.16, but John 3.17. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And you guys, there was one word, one word that just summed up at that time, 50 years of my life, forgiven. I heard him say forgiven. And not long after that, I was baptized. Um, One of the greatest days of my life, you guys. My mom was wrong. And by the way, I'm as gay as a polka dot rose. (laughs) I, I got nothing for it. But I do know that for me, living with Jesus is just enough. It's more than enough. I'm 55 and I'm not lonely. I'm not pacing the floor. I'm not looking for someone. You know, I, I have the greatest opportunity of the world to serve God behind a coffee, a coffee counter every day. I have the greatest opportunity in the world to go to a level four facility and share that Jesus really is love. You know, and and it's just been an amazing thing, an amazing thing. I was sharing with the kids just last week the story out of Nehemiah chapter 8 where they hadn't heard the law read in so long and when they heard it read after they found it, the people began to weep and cry and that's what you would think God would want people to be, right? Weeping over their sin. Funny thing was God spoke through Nehemiah and he said, tell them to stop it. Tell them to Drink the sweet drinks, eat the fat. And okay, that means 2018. Go get a Dr. Pepper and a Big Mac. <laughs> Provide for those that have none, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Guys, I'm not angry about 1 Timothy 1. I'm not angry about Romans 1. Not angry about 1 Corinthians 6. I believe the word. And ladies and gentlemen, Jesus really is love. He really is love. I guess I am going to sing
2: that song. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies. Till all my fears are gone. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. No, I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. Oh, no, I am a child of God. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. And I'm no longer a slave to fear, oh no, I am a child of God.